You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Hey, I want to take a moment before I get into my message, before I talk about what God's put on my heart for today, I just want to take a moment and I want to acknowledge something that we're seeing in our culture that's coming up uh, in this next month. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, if you've heard of this this thing called Pride Month. Anybody heard of that before? Right? Uh, it's a joke. It's okay. You can laugh about it. It's everywhere. Right? It's all it's uh, it's all over the place. And here's what I've been concerned about: is the lack of clarity around how the church should respond to this. And I've talked with several, several pastors, and I've seen several pastors uh, tiptoe around and not give clarity or not put instruction. And here's what I want to remind us today. I want to take just a moment here and give the church's response to Pride Month. And here's what this is not. It's not a call for hatred, and it's not a call for violence at all. That's not biblical. That's not scriptural. However, Scripture does tell us that we must speak the truth in love. And here's what that means. If you're married, you can relate to this. If you're married, maybe you're a husband and you've been walking around and you've been out in public and uh, maybe you had a big old sneeze. Okay, like a, you know like you, you know how your dad just sneezes big. Anybody know what I'm talking about, right? Like the older I've gotten, the more I've become a father, the more I uh, I don't know what happened. My sneezes keep getting bigger every year. I don't know what's going on. Maybe you have a big sneeze and you have something hanging out of your nose. And if your wife loves you, what will she say? Get that booger. Hey, you got something on your face, right? Why? Because she hates your guts? No, because she wants you to look your best, right? She wants to be proud of this is my husband with no boogers on his nose, right? But what is it? It's speaking the truth in love. Hey, I love you, but you got something, you got something nasty going on, all right? Like, let's take care of that. That's what that is. And is it easy to do? No, it's not always easy to do. And it's not always so lighthearted. Sometimes you have to have tough conversations with people and say, look, I love you, but here's what God's word says about this situation, all right? And so I'm gonna read, I don't normally do this, but I'm gonna read word for word just because I wanna be abundantly clear from God's word how we should respond. And so here's, here's the church's response to Pride Month is this. I would say the tolerance of the modern church has led to the sinful indoctrination of our communities, uh, I've watched too many pastors and too many churches preach weak messages about sexuality, about marriage, about gender, and it leads people into confusion thinking that the Bible is not crystal clear about these issues when it absolutely is crystal clear. Uh, there's no place, uh, hopefully you know this by now, but there is no place for Christian cowards in this day and age. We cannot afford to be. We need biblical clarity in a sexually confused world. We have to have it. Second Timothy 4 says that there's a time coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow, follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject truth and chase after myths. And I'm here to say that will not be so about the members of Abide Church. We seek and we believe the truth of God's word over opinions, over feelings, over progressive Christianity, over anything. We seek the truth and believe the truth of God's word. So I want to make it abundantly clear where we stand in response to a culture that tolerates 
honors and celebrates sexual perversion. We must be scripturally clear about marriage, sexuality, and gender. So here's what I want to do. Let me start by reading from our church's statement of faith about marriage. This can easily be found on our church website. Uh, so if you'd like to lead it, read it at a later time and see the scriptures that we pulled this from, you can. Um, and I would also say this. If you're new here, maybe you're watching this online at a later time, and the church that you call home doesn't have clarity or boldness about speaking on these issues, I would encourage you to prayerfully consider finding a new place to go to church. We have to go places where we preach this with boldness. The truth in love. We hate no one. We call for violence against no one. But just like a booger hanging out of your nose, we love you enough to say, hey, you got something going on that's not right, right? Here's, here's let me read uh, our, our uh, statement of faith from marriage. Uh, it says this, God established monogamous marriage between a male and female as the foundation of the family and the basic structure of human society. According to scripture, any f- form of homosexuality, bisexuality, pedophilia, bestiality, incest, fornication, adultery, or pornography are sinful perversions of God's gift of sex between a man and a woman in marriage. God has commanded that no intimate sexual activity be engaged other than in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. Therefore, a by church will not recognize, support, or conduct any marriages between persons of the same gender. Again, you can read that on our website. I have all the scriptures that show you where, where we find that. The second thing is sexuality. Let me be the first to tell you that if you battle with homosexual temptations, please hear me in this. This may be the most important thing you hear today. God loves you. We love you. I love you. If I did not love you, I would never share the truth of God's heart with you about these issues. Again, it's just like a marriage when we sit somebody down and say, hey, you got something going on. It's the same way. I love you enough to say, here's what God says about this situation. When it comes to homosexuality, the culture will tell you that you're just born that way and there's nothing you can do about it. But I want to remind you that is precisely why Jesus said, you must be born again. Not just for people that struggle with this, this is for everyone. We all must be spiritually born again. Why? Because the way you're born isn't right. It's not good. It's sinful. I'm prone to sin. I must be born again. Many churches make homosexuality out to be the worst sin, like it's the, the worst of them all. Let me tell you, it's not the worst sin. Biblically, pride is the worst sin, for it is the pregnant mother of all sins. Satan fell from heaven because of pride. Pride will keep you from true repentance and running to your heavenly Father. It is interesting that pride is the slogan of the gay community, but it's also heartbreaking that we would take an entire month to celebrate the sinful principle of the one thing that would keep us from a loving God. Too many times as Christians, we try to make other people's sin dirtier than ours so that we feel better about ourselves. But I want to remind us of this. The same hell for a homosexual sinner is the same hell for a heterosexual sinner. Here's the good news. The same mercy for a homosexual sinner is the same mercy for a heterosexual sinner. People will try to ask, can, I, can someone be a gay Christian? We wholeheartedly reject that question because it doesn't even begin to make sense. If you mean, can you be a believer, a Christ follower, and struggle with something, be tempted by something, of course you can. Absolutely you can. We all struggle with something. However, the moment that we put anything in front of Christianity, it ceases to be Christianity. 
Anytime we put anything, why? Because we're putting something above Christ, in front of Christ, and he will not be second to anything or anyone. Out of 31,000 scriptures, not one scripture supports homosexuality. Six scriptures absolutely reject it. Not Jesus, nor any apostle, nor any hero of the faith in the New Testament or the Old Testament endorses it, so neither can we. Let me remind you that you are not unloving because you love God more than you love the world. You're not unloving because you love God more than you love the world. And if you struggle with this, let me remind you, we don't get to choose our temptations. You don't get to choose your battles. You don't get to choose what you struggle with and what you're tempted with in this world. You don't get to choose that. But we do get to choose how we respond to the temptation and to the battle. You are not identified by the sin that tempts you. Your identity is found only in the Word of God, in the truth of His holy Word. That's where you are found. <laughs> Lastly is gender. The attack on gender is a direct attack on the image of God. 1 Corinthians 14 tells us that God is not the author of confusion. God made humans as male and female, and he does not make mistakes. How many know that's a good thing? He doesn't make mistakes. He didn't make a mistake on you. You weren't an accident. People might tell you you were an accident, but you were not an accident. God knew you before you were born. He formed you in your mother's womb. He made you who you are. So if you were born a male, God has a purpose for you as a son of God. If you were born a female, God has a purpose for you as a daughter of God. Here's why that's important, because I want to be a church where when a young person is considering cutting off parts of their body permanently, they'll be able to look back in 20 years and say, thank God that church fought for me. Thank God that church loved me enough to tell me the truth so that I can reproduce and have a family of my own today. When it comes to marriage, sexuality, and gender, we must be unconditional in our love for people, unconditional in our love for people, and unwavering in our loyalty to God's Word. We will help people in sexual sin the same way that Jesus did, with grace and truth. Jesus' response is, I do not condemn you, now go and sin no more. Everyone is welcome at Abide Church, no matter what your temptation is or what you might struggle with. However, we will ask everyone to wholeheartedly submit to God's Word, and in doing so, we know that the Holy Spirit will go to work in your life and inevitably change the behaviors of your life to align with His perfect plan for you and His perfect will for you. Abide Church will never be a house of pride, but we will be a house of humility of prayer, and allegiance to the living God and His Holy Word. Amen? Here's the thing. In the past, I've, because our culture seems to be going mad uh, every single year and there's something new that we have to directly talk about, in the past I've had to make statements like this and, and hear my heart. It's not hate and it's not violence and I'm not putting down anyone, but I am accountable to God at a different level than you are for everything that is said from this stage. And I guarantee you this, when I get to heaven someday, when I see my Jesus, I will tell him, I did my best to preach this and not my opinion. And I know it might hurt some people's feelings or offend someone, but I trusted you and my allegiance was to you more than anyone's feelings. And it's inevitable when I say things like this, when we make a stand like this, that I will, uh, well, in the past, I've gotten emails, people leaving the church and are offended. 
And it's always funny to me, though, that in every one of those emails I've ever gotten about somebody leaving the church because of something we've said, there's never once a scripture used to defend their offense. It's just their opinion. And culture has shaped them in such a way where they were offended by God's word. Jesus said, woe to you when all men speak well of you. Church, we're going to have to be bold in the coming age. And it's not going to be popular. But guess what? Holy Spirit gives us boldness. So if we trust this, and if we'll exalt this, and if we'll lean into this, we'll have all the boldness that we need to face a wild and crazy world out there. Amen? Today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to wrap up our series called Prevailing Prayer. We're in part number seven. I thought to myself, what better time to land the plane on a prayer series than week number seven? Amen, somebody? For all the church people, you know uh, what number seven means in Scripture. But anyway, let's continue on. If you didn't get the joke, that's all right. Uh, we are going to, today we're talking about prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Here's why we're talking about prayer and fasting and fasting in a prayer series. The word prayer is found 121 times in God's word. A third of the time, fasting is connected to those prayers. So when we, every time we see scripture that says, talks about prayer, a third of the time we see fasting attached to it. So fasting should be a main building block of prayer and of our prayer life and our walk with God. In fact, it should, I think, honestly, if we see that in scripture, that should be a good representation a third of my time in prayer, a third of my prayer life and my walk with God should be also a time of fasting. If we see that in Scripture, that, that statistic should also relate to my life as well. But let's break it down. Uh, first, first point is this. What does it mean to fast? Let's talk about this because I think there's a lot of confusion in this. I think there's also a lot of um, people having a good heart in explaining fasting, fasting, but that's not actually biblical to what uh, God's Word says. When Jesus said, when you fast, not if you fast. When you fast, I mean, you, you, you're supposed to at some point. Let's look at it. Matthew 6, verse 16 says this. Jesus said, moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with such a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, and they may appear uh, to men, so they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Meaning this, when you do spiritual things to be seen by men, that's the only reward you're going to get from those spiritual things. But when you do spiritual things to be seen by your Heavenly Father and to spend time with Him, He will reward you in front of everyone. So our Heavenly Father loves to reward people openly who seek Him privately. So he's talking about fasting here. I think what happens is uh, too many times I see Christians who are, uh, they're fasting their spirits instead of their bodies. They're fasting their spirits instead of their bodies, meaning this. They get fed spiritually on Sunday, but they don't feed their spirit for another six days. They went on a spiritual fast. I know that ain't good. That's not a good thing. Okay, That's reverse fasting. That's what we shouldn't be doing. They're fasting, but they're fasting the wrong part of themselves. We're made up of three parts. Right? We have our body, which is our, our, our flesh. We have our soul, which is our mind, will, and our emotions. And we have the real us, which is our spirit, on the deepest part of us, who will live forever someday, go to heaven, and be with God someday forever. And whatever one of those you feed the most becomes the strongest. Whatever becomes the strongest will dominate the other two parts of your life. And as it dominates those other two parts, it will control the direction of where you're going. Let me show you in Scripture. Romans 8, verse 5 says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Scripture have their minds set on what the Scripture desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. 
If you want abundant life in your life, if you want peace in your life, it starts with governing my life, my life being controlled by the Holy Spirit inside of me and my spirit, spirit to spirit, guiding me, directing me in everything that I do. So what is fasting? I think we've cheapened the meaning of fasting out of, out of a good heart, but we've cheapened the meaning of fasting. Uh, here's the definition. Fasting is this, a time set aside to pray with no provision for one's normal food needs. This is fasting. Set, a time set aside to be specific and for prayer without the provisions for one's normal food needs. It's an intentional time of crucifying my flesh and laying aside my emotions, which is my soul, so I can feed my spirit. Anybody in here get hangry? Right? It's you get, when you get hungry, you get angry. You know what I'm talking about? You get hangry? All right? The older I get, the more hangry I, I'm, I'm tempted to become. All right? So um, all of that is, for all of the parents in the room, or if you've ever been around a two-year-old, and uh, imagine a two-year-old that you had to correct or take a toy away from or remove or do something that they didn't want to do. What did the two-year-old, what was their temptation? Throw a fit, right? Flop around, scream, yell, maybe throw something, smack somebody, smack their uh, sibling, whatever it might be. That was their natural reaction. Here's the thing. When we get hangry, that is our soul, our mind, and our emotions, and our flesh throwing a fit just like a two-year-old that we told to do something it didn't want to do. So every time I get hangry, it's a great sign, hey, my flesh is trying to push me around. My flesh, my emotions are trying to be the boss of me today in this situation. It should be a good red flag to me when I'm getting hangry not to, not to, res- to resist the urge to not be a, uh, a two-year-old that's throwing a fit in, my, in the spiritual realm, but, but to feed my spirit. So this is why it's tough. Whenever you choose to fast, you're going to be tempted to get hangry on a regular basis, and you have to make a decision. Will I give in to the fit, or will I stay true, follow through with what I I have said I am going to do with my fasting? But here's also the other thing that happens. People fast without prayer. Well, I'm in a season of fasting. Well, you're skipping breakfast, but you're not replacing it with anything spiritual. Fasting without prayer is just a diet. What, that's, is it good for you? Sure. However, you're not feeding your spirit. You're, you're creating a void, and you're not filling it with something. The enemy will always fill a void if you leave it open long enough. There's a difference between fasting and abstaining. Fasting and abstaining. Many people say, well, I'm going on a Facebook fast. And I get the heart behind that, but biblically, that, that's not accurate. Fasting is for food. Fasting is for something that's going to keep you alive. Now, you can abstain. Say, I'm going into a season of abstaining from social media or those types of movies or that, uh, that thing in my life, that music in my life. I can do that. And doesn't, this doesn't mean it's not bad to say I'm going on a Facebook fast. I'm just saying at the root of it, God designed it for something that is very serious because food is life and death. Right? If, if Facebook crashed tomorrow, you're going, to be, you're going to be fine. Okay? You may go through some withdrawals, but you're going to be okay. But food, if I go a long time without food, I'm facing life and death. That's why fasting is so important is because it is something. Uh, in fact, let me say this. I was reading a, a commentary, and he put it this way. He said, fasting is an action contrary to that first act of sin in the human race, which was eating what was forbidden. Fasting is refusing to eat what is allowed. 
So fasting is a reversal. It is me choosing the opposite picture of the very first sin. God said, don't eat it. And what did mankind do? We ate it. Lord, I, said, I know your word says we can eat it, but I'm going to choose to not so I can draw closer to you and renew that original relationship that God had for us and walk with you and commune with you and be with you. I'm humbling myself. I'm starving my flesh and my soul, my emotions, keeping it in check so I can better feed my spirit. And whatever I feed the most becomes the strongest and it will control my life. It will control my life. Um, have you ever known somebody that just has a bad temper, right? Short fuse. And they're just like, man, I just can't control my temper. I don't know what's wrong with me. I just can't control it. And I would say this, uh, you can control it. Here's why I would say that. You ever been at home, and whoever that person is, you don't have to nudge them or anything like that, but they're losing their cool, right? They're pretty upset, but then their boss calls them on their cell phone, and how do they answer that phone? Screaming, yelling, cussing, throwing something. Oh, hey, yeah, yeah, this is Dan. Yeah, no problem. How did you change so fast? Because you can control it. Hmm. That one just, <laughs> that hit a lot of people right there, okay? <laughs> I can control it. Whatever I feed the most will control me. So what are you feeding the most? What are you giving into the most? What are you feeding the most? What fasting is not, fasting does not change God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Fasting transforms you. Fasting transforms you. It allows God's power to flow through you more without restriction. It allows him to go to work in your life. So really quick here, I'm going to finish with this. Two reasons to fast. Two reasons to fast. Point number one is this, to fix your focus. I fast to get focused back on the right thing. So Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. How do we do that? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and he perfects our faith. How do I live a life free from the addiction of sin by keeping my eyes on Jesus and running towards him? How do I live my life free from some of these things that would hold me back, these emotional, uh, these, these strongholds in my life, these things that would keep me from what all God has for me? I got to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. What am I focusing on? What am I thinking about? What am I praying on? Last week we talked about meditation. What am I meditating on? When I focus, fix my focus on Jesus, I can live my life to the fullest potential that God has for me. Regret can't weigh me down. Sin can't trip me up. Offense can't ruin my day. I'm not going to get mad at somebody cut me off in traffic and my whole day is ruined. No, that doesn't happen because my eyes aren't on them. My eyes are on Jesus and what he has for me today. I can live every day on mission and on purpose. So fasting eliminates distractions and it keeps me moving in the direction that God has for me. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. I walk by faith, not by sight, meaning I walk by God's vision and not by man's sight. Faith, then, is the vision of God's promises before I see them. So a great example of that is Scripture says you can be free from the bondage of sin. Does it mean you're going to live a perfect life? Does it mean you're never going to trip up? No, you're going to trip up from time to time. But whatever that thing is that you keep going back to that you are addicted to that continues to trip you up, Scripture says you can be free from that. But here's what happens. We have our focus fixed on the wrong thing. When I was learning to drive... 
Um, and let me say, let me share this story. I was in college. I got a degree in criminal justice. One summer, we took a course, a defensive driving course. And as we were taking this defensive driving course, we had to wear this helmet and get in this police car. And we had this course to go around, all these cones. And if you hit a cone, disqualified. Just one cone. If you knocked it over, disqualified. Hit it all, disqualified. There was one part in the track I could not fix. I was, I was crushing it everywhere else. No big deal. One part always hit, same cone. Finally, I was so frustrated. I keep getting disqualified. My, my, my instructor said, what are you, when you go through there, what are you looking at? I said, I'm looking at the cone. I don't want to hit it. I'm trying to align up my tires, see the cone. I'm trying to miss it. And he says, that's why you're hitting it. He said, whatever you're looking at is what you're going to hit. He said, when you, next time we go through, he said, look where you want to go, and you'll miss the cone. Sure enough, next time we go through, I resist the urge to look at that cone that's disqualifying me, and I'm looking, where do I want to go? Look at the next turn. Where am I going in the next turn? And I missed it every single time after that. That helped me understand how when my parents were teaching me to drive, I was pretty notorious for hitting every pothole that came at us, right? I was 15. My dad said, there's a pothole coming up. Make sure and straddle it. Okay, yeah, I see it. It's getting closer, getting closer. Boom, man, hit it every time. Why? I was looking at the pothole. Don't hit the pothole. Don't hit the... That's what we do with sin. Today, it's a new day. I'm not going to sin. 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 Ah, I did it again. I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to... I did it again. I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to look at that. I did it again. Why? You're looking at the wrong thing. You're not focused on Jesus. You're focused on your sin. You're focused on the thing. You're focused on the thing you're trying not to do. He says, you can strip off every weight, every sin that trips you up, by keeping your eyes on Jesus. Look where you want to go. You're going to Jesus. You're going to him. Continue to move forward. Choose to believe what I see spiritually over what I see naturally. And the second reason we fast is this, to remove doubt and to build faith. Remove doubt, build my faith. Many times breakthrough closely follows a season of prayer and fasting. In Matthew 17, verse 14, we talked about the story in week one, but I'm going to revisit here. This is when I think I talked about in the book of Mark, but this is in Matthew. It's a little bit different, but it says this. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to Jesus, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic. He suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Verse 17. Then Jesus answered and he said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Bring the boy to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately, and they said, Why could we not cast him out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you, if you have faith, even as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. The disciples pray, and nothing happens. And here's what Jesus, when he showed up, here's what Jesus did not say. Did you guys pray? Did you pray like I taught you? They've cast out demons, they've cast out demons before. Did you do like I told you to? You did? Must not be God's will. He didn't say that. Sometimes that's the easier thing to say though in our in our context. His response was faithless and perverse generation. Or another way of saying it is this, adulterous generation. Meaning this, you are cheating on the things of God with the things of the world. Your mindsets, your beliefs, your lifestyle, your words, 
you're committing adultery on the things of God with the things of this world. He said, because you live with a mindset of the world, you see no fruit, you saw no answer. He says, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Fasting isn't manipulating God to move. Many times fasting is removing my doubt so God can move. We talked about this week one. Did Jesus stop right there and be like, all right, take your son, give us a week. We're gonna fast for a week, come back and see me. Then we'll take care of him. No, he had already been praying and fasting. He had already built up his faith. He had already removed all doubt. So when Jesus showed up, what do you have to do? I can handle this. I've, I've already prayed and fasted. I don't have to stop right now and hit the panic button and then do it. I've already done it. There are times when breakthrough only comes after a season of intentional, fervent prayer and fasting. And many times we think using our faith to pray, and we're using our faith to pray and stand for an answer from God. But the issue is, Many times we put our faith in faith rather than our faith in God. We put our faith in faith. And if you've grown up in church or been in church, this is easy to do. Here's what faith in faith means. I'm putting my faith in faith, meaning if I say this, if I do this, if I speak this, then I'll get my answer. My faith is in the outcome. My faith is in my checklist of to-dos. Faith in God says, because I've spent time with my heavenly father, because I know his will, because I've been in his word, I know that his spirit lives in me and I am praying in agreement with his word. And I have faithful expectation that he's going to do just what he said he's going to do. Where's my faith? In the faithfulness, in the character of God. My faith is in God, not my faith in faith. Well, Pastor Dan, I did all the right things. I said that prayer. I've been speaking this. I've been doing this. It's less about you than you think it is. Get your focus where? On him, on his word. Trusting God is not a formula. It's not a formula. But I can get to a point where I can believe that if he said it, he can do it. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Sometimes I'm going to have to pray and fast to remove doubt because what I am seeing in my life is so opposite of what God says in his word. That the only way that I can even begin to think that God could move in my situation is to fix my focus on him and to remove my doubt from how big this situation is in my life. Hebrews 11:6 6 says this, but faith but without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So he says, do you want to please God? Live a faith-filled life. Do you want to have faith in God? Diligently seek him. How? Prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Fasting doesn't change God, but it will transform you. It fixes your focus on God, and wherever your focus is, that's the direction of your life. Stop hitting that sin cone in your life and get your eyes on where Jesus is leading you to, and you will get, overcome that sin. It removes any doubt, and it builds your faith. Intentional time with God always builds my faith. Choose to put your faith in God, not in the outcome of your prayer. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Start somewhere with this. You don't have to fast for 40 days like Jesus throughout the gate. Fast a meal. But don't just skip a meal, that's dieting. Fast a meal, fast a drink in your life. Fast something that has a control on you or that you need every day 
Say, Lord, today I'm going to choose not to. I'm going to choose to fill it with prayer. I'm not going to give in to the hangries, okay? I'm going to feed my spirit instead. And Lord, I'm going to believe that you're going to move in my life. And God will. You're going to encounter him in a more intimate way in your life when you choose to spend some time feeding your spirit instead of feeding your flesh and your emotions. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is clear, abundantly clear. And Lord, today, we just ask that as we spend time moving forward in prayer, as we fast, Lord, I pray that you would help us feed our spirits well. Help us overcome the emotions in our lives that would try to distract us. Help us overcome the, the, the flesh side of us that would tempt us. Give us strength, Holy Spirit, as only you can. I pray that you'd walk with us. You'd help us day by day as we fix our eyes on you through prayer and fasting. In Jesus' holy name, everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.